What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm Greg Helbeck. I'm here with Michael Pinter. We are coming to you live from New York State. I'm in the Hudson Valley. Michael's in, dude, your office, don't, don't, I'm going to guess your office is in, um, not Elmont. It's not in, it's not in Lawrence. It's in, um, oh, dude, where's your office? It's in you, Hewitt. Yes. <laughs> there we go, right by JFK. <laughs> Right on. Anyway, we're going to talk today about systems. And, and this is something, and hopefully you don't hear that word and turn this podcast off, because I'm telling you right now, Michael and I definitely are not system experts, but we have certainly built systems that have allowed us to not have to work as hard as we have used to. Um, sure, so sure. I'm going to talk today about an acquisition system. And then Michael really has his disposition system dialed in because he doesn't even do anything. He's just like, selling properties on autopilot. Um, and uh, this will be a good show. So if you're looking, if you're brand new and you think this is not relevant to you, trust me, you should start systematizing on day one because once you start doing deals, when you get in the habit of building systems, it'll be easier to hire people because you already kind of know what to expect. So um, anyway, Michael, how you doing today, man? How was your, uh, well, you don't celebrate Christmas, but how was your, I guess, Christmas time? It was great. It was fine. <laughs> Everything is good. I, uh, well, the week before I was in California visiting my daughter and uh, grandson and uh, looking forward to going to Florida in a couple of weeks for a week. So just, I'm just in between vacations right now. Yeah. Well, look at you, man. You live a rough life. I'm, I'm really thinking about moving to Florida for the long term. I, it's like the, the more bullshit that happens in New York and California, the more I'm thinking about moving to South Florida, like in a couple of years, just because I just don't see uh, our area is getting better anytime soon. And I mean, Florida is a great place. People I love agree. it down there. I've been, I've been marketing in Florida most of the year. I just, I'm looking at my first contract I just got in Deerfield Beach, Florida. So I'm excited. Did that work? Did that work out with a seller? I'm in contract. I'm going to go check the property out on when I go down in two weeks. And then, we, and he wants to close in the middle of February. So I'm fine with that. It's amazing. Are you, uh, isn't it so easy to sign a contract with someone when you're not in New York? It is amazing. Uh, <sighs> how you can get lock up property via DocuSign. It is it's unbelievable. It's not, not really, listen, it's not foolproof, right? You can't, the guy, if the guy told me no, goodbye. Yeah, you could, but, yeah. But it's, it's pretty amazing. It's amazing. I did two of those this, this week. And I just, it almost seems like a scam in my opinion. Cause I'm like, <laughs> how does it even make sense? Yeah. Anyway. So um, systems, I want to talk about systems today because here's the, here's the deal. I used to be the kind of guy who would just listen to like tactical real estate, like motivated seller, cash buyer training. And I thought systems were boring and ugly and I don't want to look into that. But as I've gotten better and as I've grown, I've really became a lot more interested in systems and how to quote unquote systematize my business. 
I don't think anybody has a business. I mean, if they're being honest with themselves, that runs itself on autopilot where they never have to check in. I think that, that that's very rare, but we have friends who have businesses that are relatively systematized to the point where they spend maybe a few hours a week, making sure that there's everything is, you know, the way it should be. And the way that they got there is, is from systems. So, so what, in your opinion, we probably might have mixed definitions. What, if you had to define a system to somebody like a real estate system, how, how would you kind of communicate that to get someone to realize what that is? Just so before we get into the meat and potatoes. I would say systems, I, I also say it's processes, right? A so process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Process or a system is a series of procedures that you do to get something done. And ideally you uh, record uh, your processes or your systems so that you can outsource it and not be the only person doing it. So I'm a big fan of uh, Gary Harper and Sharper Solutions, and there are big things. I still have, do I still have it? I have a piece of paper behind my thing. When I spoke to Gary a year ago about what my things were for the year. So the first thing was to process map all branches, core processes, and I've, and I've done that, right? So I process map every single thing I do in my business to the point where hopefully, A, if somebody, um, if I have to replace somebody on my team, they can figure it out pretty quickly. But also if I can replace myself. So I'm still responsible for acquisitions in my company. I want to eventually not be the only acquisition manager. I want to hire acquisition ma a manager or managers. And hopefully what they're going to be able to do is look at my process map and be able to get a good idea of what they should be doing and how and how, and how we do it. The, 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 most people, when they become a solopreneur in a business, they, they, they think of a system or a process as something that, that is uh, you know, cumbersome and is going to make things complicated. Why do I need to write down how I do X, Y, and Z? I know how to do it. But when you, if you really want to grow a business, you have to grow it with people and you can't assume that people know what to do. So by process mapping, which is a specific process, I use a lucid chart. So I have process maps for all every every single thing my business does, and there are processes within processes. And then what I'm really doing, and I haven't done fully, is that every single procedure in those processes, I'm trying to record a screencast so that somebody else will see how I do it. Like I just got a, I just got an email from somebody in my office. Like these are the process processes that I have to screencast. I got it three days ago, and I still haven't done it. But the point is, you want to you want to create lists of procedures that are processes to how to do how to get something done and it's the only real way to be a professional business right i'm not saying you know we all look at mcdonald's right mcdonald's that hires you know kids in high school and they can run the whole business with you know seven kids in high school and one manager who's 19 um, because they have all these processes this procedure manual that you get when you work at mcdonald's that's simple you know the fries go in the left bucket and you let them sit for eight minutes and then you pull them out. Like you want to make it that simple. Now it's not, it's not, it's not that simple, right? Our business, especially most businesses are not as simple as McDonald's. But when you, when you start thinking that, Hey, everything I do, I, I may not want to do, I may not be able to do, I might want somebody else to do it. And I certainly, my time is limited. So if I want to grow the business, I need more people doing it. Then you realize that you really need systems and processes to make, to make a business grow. Yeah. And that's, you made a good point there because at the end of the day, like if you put the work in up front, and I think the reason people don't like doing systems in the beginning is because they feel like it's not going to move the needle, but it's with like a seed you plant and then it will germinate. And then over time it will turn into something much greater. So, you know, when you take the time to actually systematize your business, and you mentioned something that I really like to do is, is record my, I don't have anything written because I feel like stuff changes so quickly in our industry. 
So I'll just re-record something or I'll have someone on my team re-record it themselves. I learned that from a book called Clockwork, which is a fantastic book. I actually just interviewed Mike McCallowitz on my show, uh, which was really cool. Um, he's, he's awesome. Anyway. Did you read David Richter's new book, The Profit First for Real Estate Investor? Of course. Of course. It's really good. Yeah. That interview is coming out next week or no, two weeks from now. Yeah. David Lott. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a really good guy. So systematizing, I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. So I, what I like to do is I like to record my screen. I, like I, what I'll do is I'll write a list of the activities that need to happen, and then the every activity has a video that goes with it. So like for example, I was systematizing one of my other podcasts, Pave the Way podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you should check it out. And instead of me like getting on a Zoom call with my assistant and explaining it to her. I just recorded my screen on exactly how to put together a podcast, sent it to her. And then instead of me having to get on a phone with her, phone call with her, she just sees that system and she duplicates that system. Same thing with talking to sellers. I have a video on inputting a lead into the CRM, uh, you know, like all little things like that. And, and, and that's, that's how you can really, you know, people say set it and forget it, right? If someone understands how to do something, and they have a video that teaches them how to do it. Mike, actually, the guy who wrote Clockwork, says that you should have them record the next video so then they can teach the next person if, if that's the case. And that's when they really know it. So I want to cover two systems today. I have my acquisition system. You have your disposition system. I think those are two things that we're very you know, uniquely qualified to talk about. So when it comes to a system that's tactical for the real estate business, especially let's just make it New York related, how to get a house at a discount from a motivated seller, in New York state, which is a very niche of a niche of a niche, as Alex Hermosi would say. At the end of the day, what I like to do and how I've trained Brett on my team who does the buying for me is it, the system is, is very simple. Leads come in the door from marketing, which is another system within itself. And then when, a, when, when someone speaks to a lead, doesn't matter. And it could be me because I'm still doing some of the acquisitions as well. But so anybody who is speaking with a prospect follows the system. The first call there's a, a simple information gathering call. The goal is to not buy a house on the first call. The goal is to simply gather the information and then the objective is the same on every single call. Are they a qualified lead or are they not a qualified lead? If they are not a qualified lead, they simply go into a follow-up bucket with an offer presented and that's it. It's basically set it and forget it. However, if they are a qualified lead, if they are qualified and they wanna sell their house and there's some sort of problem that we can potentially solve, then what happens is then we get information from them. They get information from us. We always set a next step. And the next step is we're going to hop back on the telephone and we're going to talk about how we can make you an offer and, and how this can work for you. And then what happens is then in between the first phone call and the second phone call, I still sit in the seat right now as the underwriter. So I basically analyze the property and like figure out what it's worth, what I can pay for it. If it's a rental, if it's a flip, if it's a wholesale deal. And then I present that number to Brett. He gets on the phone with a prospect, usually the second time and he makes them an offer. And then at that point, there's another system. If the offer is accepted, then the attorneys get communicated with, they send out an email, then we go back and forth and we you know, run around for a while with a hair on fire, eventually a contract gets signed and then the property is technically acquired. So can like- two, Can I ask you ahead. two questions? I don't want to drop sure. two questions. First of, all, first of all, how are you underwriting the file if you haven't seen the inside? What are you basing it on, on what they say? Yeah. So I base on what they say. And then if, if, if it's in an area, like I know the Hudson Valley and even San Diego, it's it, San Diego. Most of the inventory is, is, is similar. So, so like, if I know their address and I see where it is, and I know that it's like in an, a subdivision where they're all three twos. And that even happens a lot in Hudson Valley, depending on where it is. 
I know that pro- I know what that property is going to need because they're telling me, oh, well, it needs an updated kitchen. It needs an updated bathroom. So I see the square footage and I'm like, I've done rehabs of, of that size. So usually my repairs are like 10 grand off, like if anything, with like a virtual inspection versus it's like me based going on in. the repairs they tell you that, that it would need. Correct. And then what will happen is I always actually make it worse than it probably is. So like if they say it needs a lot of work, I'm going to be like, it needs a lot, a lot of work. Cause like, I always want to like ha- have the right expectations with that property. And if someone walks it after, which like when you deal sight unseen, sometimes if someone walks it, hopefully they're pleasantly surprised and not disappointed. So like, and if it's a, if it's a property, I'll tell you what, if it is a property that, that it does not fit that criteria and it's a little bit of an oddball property, then what normally we will do is we will send a home inspector there in New York to walk the property on our behalf and just verify everything that, that we said before we sign a contract. And yeah, we have a risk. We have to spend the money. Take a lot of pictures, the inspector. To send he the takes inspector. a lot of pictures. He takes a lot of pictures. Um, or if anything, Brett will go there and take pictures or we'll have like uh, someone on Craigslist go out there. But I've, I've realized with our real estate system, buying a house, it, listen, if, if, if we went on appointments, I'm sure our conversion rate would be higher. But I have found that buying over the telephone, especially because most sellers aren't even there, it did not do really, it, it didn't really throw a wrench in our conversion. And Brett can make more offers and I can look at more deals to analyze. Uh, and it's just worked out. You probably buy more houses doing it virtually for sure. Even though your conversion rate is going to be lower, you'll end up buying more houses. We I, end up I, buying more houses. Yeah. I, you, you, you have a, your, most of your homes are vacant, right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, they're either vacant or they're rented. So they're not owner-occupied. Normally, right. they're not. A most few of them are, are. Most of mine are owner-occupied. So it's different. It's a little interesting. Bit different. That's but, interesting. Uh, I don't know why. I'm buying a house right now that's owner-occupied. The guy won't even let me inside. So we had to do everything virtually. But he, he, will, he refused to let me in the house. Like, refused. Because his wife has PTSD. And there's all this shenanigans going on there. And I'm doing a rent back, but we sent someone out to the property. We got a septic inspection. Like we, you know, it all checked out, but yeah, I mean, some of these owner occupant people are nuts. Did he, send you, did he send you pictures? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. He sent me pictures. The pictures are on Zillow too, actually. Cause it was like on the market. Um, okay. One of these like unicorn, but yeah, owner occupied properties. I mean, that's, that's when it does make sense to go on those appointments because those sellers are kind of expecting you to come over. Exactly. Because that was my first question. My second question is how do you, when you're ending a call and you know that the next step is another call, how do you phrase that to the, to the prospect lead? I say, Hey, Mrs. Prospect. Um, definitely. It sounds like this could be a potential fit for, for you and for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to run some numbers. And then at the same time, you can gather up any questions you might have for me. And then when we hop back on the phone next, what we're going to do is I'll present to you some sort of a a, a rough ballpark number. And at that point, you'll kind of have everything you'd need for me in order to, to kind of know where our offer is going to be. And then if you like the offer, we can talk about how it would look if we move forward. And if the offer is not a fit for you, you know, that's no problem. We'll just kind of part as friends and go from there. So I let them know on the next call, I'm going to make them an offer. And then obviously before I do that, I like to know what they want. So, Hey, before I do my homework, you know, what, what are you going to want to get for this house? And then that makes me you know, it, it just makes it easier to do my my underwriting because, like, if they're asking three fifty, I can kind of base, like, I can just kind of like it just gives me more information or Brett more information to to kind of make a um, intelligent offer. Because we had deals sometimes where, like, literally they were not that motivated, but they're asking a crazy price, and we're like, okay, well, if we give you two fifty for this thing, like, is can you sign? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Well, so that makes the sales process easier, but that doesn't happen most of the time. Most of the time, it's a little bit more of an ongoing follow up. 
and you can't pay it, right? Yeah, so, but that, that's our acquisition system. So basically it's a predictable process from start to finish. And if leads come in on the top of the funnel with our system that we have with our two call system, and listen, some leads are follow-up. I mean, there's, there's obviously more to that. It's a 40 minute podcast. At the, at the end day, money's going to come out of the back end because we have it systematized. But I know on your end, Michael, in Long Island, you are you have this disposition like system going on, and I just figured we'll share that, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Sure, I really should bring up my process my process map to see what the hell it is. But, um, but um, <laughs> my first hire, right? Unlike, listen, I did things very differently than a lot of other real estate investors. A lot of real estate investors started wholesaling, then went to rehabbing. I started rehabbing for four years, then I went to wholesaling. But um, my first hire, so most most people's first hire is an assistant, or most people's first hire is a cold caller or lease manager. My first hire was a dispositions manager because I realized that I hate talking to buyers and I hate talking to cash buyers. I hate both of them because in my opinion, they're almost all always full of shit. And I don't like the whole dance and the game. So I found someone and it was the first hire, which is rare. And now we, we should talk more about hiring people because that's a big part of systems and, and outsourcing. Oh, yeah. But, um, so he really takes the brunt of all the things I don't want to do. So when we lock something up and we have another contract, sometimes we know that we have to close. Sometimes we think we have to close and sometimes we hope not to close. So very <laughs> what we'll do is we'll, we'll send it out to, to, uh, to the list. Ken will send it out to my cash buyers list and see if we can get any bites on it. Sometimes, you know, we buy a lot of properties that are occupied. So there are some investors that'll take them occupied, some investors that will never touch anything occupied. But for some investors, if the price is right, they'll still take it occupied. So we'll throw it out to the list and see what we get. And then Ken will come back to me and say, this is where we are. And then we'll make a decision as to whether to close or not. Now, if we end up closing on it, then really the question is whether we have to do the work or not. So um, Ken really hasn't done a lot of the project management yet, but I hope he will, or I may have to hire somebody if we buy more, because I'm buying a lot, I'm closing a lot of properties now that I really don't like to. Um, but if we don't have to do any work, then Ken will just throw it on the market right away. And he, he's, you know, I'm, I'm a real estate broker. He's a realtor that works for me. And he does all the showings and does, I'm really not involved at all. And he'll just come back to me and say, here are, here are our best uh, offers. This one, you know, is a little less, but it might be better, that kind of thing. And then we'll, we'll make a decision together. But the truth is Ken is pretty much at the point where he can, he can make those decisions himself. I, I could almost not even be involved in the situation at all, um, which is what I'm hoping to get to, right? I'm really hoping to get to a point where, you know, he'll just tell me we sold it or we're in contract and that would be great. Um, that is amazing. That's what I hope. It's it because I really don't. I don't. I don't like the. You know, in in my area, there's a lot of. Uh, let me put this. Uh, bullshit artists. Gingerly, yeah, a lot of bullshit artists. People who 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 almost believe that that, and they do this on both ends, right? So that when they go to see when they go to see a house, they 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 start pointing out everything wrong. Oh, this paint is peeling. Oh, your this window may not close. Um, you know, and they do the same thing when they come to our house to buy it. Oh, you're asking so much money. This isn't worth anything. I, I can't, I can't refrain from either physically punching them in the face or just coming yelling at them and arguing with them. And I don't want to do that. So Ken yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, I want. I hate being lectured, right? I, and I, and and I still have some interaction. So when somebody does that, I go, listen, if you don't want it, it's fine. Don't take it, right? But, I, <laughs> but don't lecture me on what my what my price is. I already have offers above it, so so. Uh, <laughs> that's the part of business I don't like. And I really think that when, when you start thinking about in your business, what to outsource, those are really, there's really two things you got to start thinking about. And that's the things you really don't like, the things that really drain your energy 
and the things that you're not good at, right? If you're just not, you know, if you're not good at talking to, to sellers, then you probably should think about getting somebody else to talk to sellers. Um, like I, I, I'm okay at talking to sellers. I'm not half as good as you are. You're much better than me, but, um, but I'm doing it now until I can get somebody else to do it. Um, and hopefully when I find somebody else to do it, they'll be better than me at it and our conversion rate will go higher. But I really think that when, you, when you're growing a business from more than a solopreneur, you have to sort of think of the things that you're, not, you're either you're not able to do, right? If you have so many leads that you can't qualify them, then you're gonna need a leads manager, the things that you hate doing and the things that you're just not good at doing. And that's, uh, that's, how, you, that's how you think about growing systemize. And I don't know if it's systemizing or systematizing, but when you put systems in your business and you're outsourcing, that's what you should think about. Yeah, no, and that's a, you mentioned something too. I mean, it's at the end of the day, like hiring is basically the direct relative of systems, right? Because like if you hire somebody without systems, you're just going to be running around with your hair on fire all day. For sure. You know what I, I mean? I was in Salt Lake City um, in the middle of summer, in the middle, no, the middle of summer, it was 100 degrees. And um, <laughs> both Jason Lewis and Cody Hoffine, who both have, multiple seven figure businesses buying in Utah, both said, so, so you, I look at these guys and they have big teams, you know, 15 guys and they're, you know, these guys are taking, you know, they, they don't do less than a hundred to $200,000 a month. That's a bad month for them. And I look at them and I go, wow, these guys I really admire. They must have everything dialed in. And they both said that whenever there was some part of their business that they just assumed was working and they weren't on top of it, it ended up turning to shit. And, and, and both, like Jason said, I, I just did this. I, I, I had some people that were doing something. Jason has like 27 VAs. And I gave a group of them another thing to do. And I just assumed they would know how to do it. And then two months later, I checked and they just weren't, were doing it wrong because he had to put the processes and systems that we're talking about in place to make sure that they knew what they were doing and he wasn't on top of it. So whenever you're going to hire somebody, and it's important to realize, and this is a weird thing. And, and, I, and I thought about this recently when I was talking to somebody about hiring. I go, when you hire someone, you have to really invest time into it Oh my gosh, totally. And be on top of them. But at the same point, you also have to understand they may not be the right person, right? You have to kiss some frogs to get to the prince. And it's unlikely that the first person you're going to hire is going to be the right person. You and I have both hired plenty of people that didn't work oh, out. Yeah. And, and if you get discouraged, and I know people get discouraged, right? They, oh, I hired somebody, but he stunk and I don't want to deal with that anymore. I'm like, you almost have to have both of that in your head. Like this guy might not work out, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they do work out. And that's not an easy thing to do, right? It's not an easy thing to say, well, I'm going to invest a half hour a day into making sure this guy knows what he's doing. And then in a month say, this guy still doesn't know what he's doing. I got to get rid of him. And, but you have to be able to do both. And to be a good leader and a good business owner, you have to, you have to work both sides of that seesaw. And it's not, it's not a simple thing. And I was explaining to someone and he's like, well, if I don't think he's going to work out, then why am I investing time in him? I go, because he'll never work out unless you invest time in him. He goes, you well, have to do that to know. Yeah, right. but he goes, once I invest time with them, then why am I going to let him go? I go because he's not good. I mean, you have to do you yeah. have to do both, both of that, and it's not it's not an easy thing. I think it's people don't talk about it a lot. I think it's one of the most challenging things about running a business is to have both those things in mind. To be able to say that someone's not that I'm 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 going to hire someone. This may not be the right guy, but I'm going to but I'm going to invest the time and put the processes and systems in place to make sure that he does as, as good as he can. And that, that's, and that's, that's why people, and this is, I've had this limiting belief in this story running around my head for a while until recently this year is like, oh, well, it's going to be too much work to hire somebody. I can just do it all myself. And that was a bullshit story. I was telling myself for four years and I, you know, made good money over the last four years, but I wasn't getting to that next level 
And this year, like magic, I hired people and made the most money I've ever made in my life. Right. And it's like, wow, isn't that interesting? So it's like, I had this bullshit story playing in my head all day long. Like one of those fucking and then the thing pops out of the box. So like, I, I had to just admit, I actually had COVID-19 in January of 2021 and I'm sitting in my hotel room because I had to isolate like a sheep. And I was like writing down in a journal, like I got to hire a fucking assistant, like period, no ifs, ands, or buts. I committed to that shit, went through a hiring process. I used wise hire, filtered the shit out of them, found a good assistant. She's been with me for almost a year. Same thing, hired an acquisitions person because I, I was too, we had too many leads coming in to where I said, if I wanted to have some sort of a fucking life besides doing business, I cannot be calling sellers back all day. It's just, it's literally in it. Cause my assistant does that, but when she's not working, it's on to me. So it's like, it got to the point where I'm like, if I want to get to the next level and I want to spend the type of money that I really want to and can spend on marketing, I am doing myself, my future self and my company, which is a separate living, breathing entity, a disservice. And I got pissed off and I got angry. And that got me to actually change, you know, and it was uncomfortable, but it's still, it's, it's still like to this day, it's like, you know, listen, am I more of a manager now? Yeah, I'm more of a manager, but it's like, I'm still doing the work in some work in my business, but half of the time, it's like me just making sure that everything is like, you know, running smoothly in the off. Like, I just look at the numbers now a lot. Like I'll look at the, oh, I love that book, man. I just went through the whole book. We, we had a book club in Investor Fuel. We went through. That's a great book. Chapter. We just finished it. We're starting it again on, on Tuesday. And in the book, he's like, this concept of passive income from a business. Oh, he goes, you have, you have to be, he goes, you want to work on your business, not in your business. He goes, you got to be in it or 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 things are going to go bad. And that's the truth. And we totally. this, we have this dream. Well, I'm going to build this team and then I'm going to sit on a beach and someone's going to call me and say, oh, we just deposited another $12 million to your account, sir. Thank you. Hang up. Give me another pina colada. That's not, that's not how it that's works. That's not how it works, man. I would be pissed if that, I would not be happy if I was doing that because human beings are meant to fucking work. I like long, going on vacation. How long can you sit on a beach before you go? How many people, who's the guy who did seven figure flipping? You know, he sold a business to Bill Allen. He lasted- oh, Justin Williams. That's what it lasted, I think, five months or four months. And then he yeah. called me and said, I can't take it anymore. I got to do something. Like, you and I, for sure, are never going to sit. We like to sit on a beach for like a week or two, maybe a month. Yeah. But after that, we got to get back After to that, I'm going to, I'm going to do more deals. I can't go without this. It's like, it's like a fixating. It's like, it's like, it, it, anyway, that, but that, and that's the thing, too. People don't understand that, like, even if you have a fucking team, you're still going to be doing shit in your business. You're not going to be. Like going for like my friend, I have friends, they go for fucking hikes at two o'clock in the afternoon in their underwear and fucking walk all over the place. And I'm like, I'm like, shouldn't you be fucking working? <laughs> like, what the fuck? They have money. They're rich. But I'm like, I, I don't, they, they ask me, they're like, you want to go on a hike? I'm like, fuck no, I want to work. Like, I don't want to, go, I can go on as many hikes as I want at this point, but I choose to fucking work because I love it. Of course. And, and the truth is that we think that, you know, we look at these other companies that are successful or bigger than us. Yeah. And- people there don't stay forever right keep people leave keep people yeah, leave totally. and start, keep people leave and start their own business to compete against you keep yep. people have other things going on so you can't the idea that you're not going to be able you're not going to be managing it is absurd you're still going to need to manage it like even i know people that you remember you remember jamie woolley she was part of this of course yeah, yeah, yeah of course of course in texas right right so she was like my idol because she she built the business really fast she built went to got like 100 deals a year in like two years and then she hired a COO and said, I'm only going to work in the business like two hours a week. Like, I was like, no man, no man would ever have the, the humility to do that. Right? Only a woman yeah. could do that. Right? Yeah, 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 right. It's- this place could fall apart without me. But she was like, 
fuck it. Fuck I'm going to on top of it, but I'm going to have this other person run it and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll play with it. So like she was my idol. But the truth is she's also, she's not working the two hours a week anymore. She's back in it. Like a lot of people are. She started other businesses and too, but you, you, you have to be on top of it and managing when I, so I have like a, I had like a half hour call with like my, my lead intake team. And like, when I spend that time, sometimes it's, a, it's annoying to spend the time, especially when we repeat the same thing over. But I know in the front part of my brain that that's the best use of my time, right? If I can, if I can make an employee more efficient or better at something they do, if I spend, if I spend a half hour on it, that means I'm getting a seven and a, what is it? It's a 15 times return, right? Because 15 other half hours of the day, they're going to be working better than they were before. So there's nothing I can do that's better leverage than helping my team do their job better. Nothing, nothing I can do, right? Even if I'm going, even to lock up a deal and make the money, it's probably better that I'm training the team. If, assuming everybody on the team is doing is doing something important in, in the in the in the in the in the in the, in the process, then if I make them better at it, just a little better, um, then that's the best use of my time. And you have to look at that when you're hiring somebody and when you're onboarding somebody and when you're training somebody, like you have to do that. But at the same point, I, as I said before, you have to understand people are, a lot of people are not going to work out. You had uh, AMs that didn't work out, right? You went through Oh, I, I, I went through a hiring fucking ring, bro. It was, and I, I got jaded and then I said, oh, this sucks. I'm going to be a seven figure guy by myself. Uh, and it was bullshit. You know, it was total bullshit. And I'm like, I, cause so, so I want to make another point you, you kind of mentioned there. So when it comes to training people, you just said something that's so freaking factual. The more time you pour into your team, assuming they're the right fit, it's, it's, a, it's like, it's a leverage multiplier. We meet for 15 minutes a fucking day at eight in the morning or 11 o'clock, whatever the hell the time, what people are all over the time zone in our business. So it's fucking 8 a.m. Pacific. And we spend 15 minutes. We go over all the fucking, all the shit for the day. Where it's at, where we at, where we're at with this business, that blah, blah, blah. And then every Monday, for 30 minutes, me and Brett, we do a sales meeting. We look at all the top deals. We make sure we're working on all those deals. I'm giving them an update on the dispositions. I'm giving an update on the rentals. I'm giving an update on all this bullshit we got going on. And then we do a sales training. We do a role play. We role play a scenario. And me spending 30 minutes role playing something, that is sharpening his axe, my axe. So like training your team. And it's going to get you better too because becoming a leader is a skill. It's not easy. It's, it's super hard because you're like, you have people literally depending on you for income. So it's like, it, it makes you need to perform better. Right. So now I'm like, Oh shit. Like if I'm going to, let's say I'm like, Oh, I want to go hiking with my idiot friends at two o'clock. And it's like, if I do that, could I do that? And would it make a difference in the grand scheme of things? Probably not, but I'm really taking away the opportunity to help my team and my business grow to the next level. So therefore I'm going to decline that opportunity even though I have the freedom to do it, which is another bullshit thing I can get into on a later podcast, you know, it's all bullshit anyway. So, cause I want to help them and I want to see them win. And I love sharing the victim. And I tell you one thing, making money on your own is fun. Making money with people on your team is even more damn fun. And I can just spread the, spread the money around a little bit. So it's not just me sitting like Scrooge McDuck in the money another, points. Because as you said, it makes you better because you have, you have to teach something you really have to get good at it. And if you if you're not 100 percent sure of something, it, it brings it out. And then also, if you have multiple people doing the same thing, it separates the better players from the non-members. So I had three people in lead intake, and as I spent more time talking to them, I realized one of them really wasn't wasn't up to stuff, and I got rid of her. But I yeah. got that we were spending a lot of time on the phone and realizing that two of the people were really good at, at keeping to the script, and one wasn't. So um, training training your teammate your team members is, I think, the highest leverage use of your time. But the 100%. irony of it is you still need to 
be able to not use sunk costs as a reason to keep somebody on who shouldn't be there. And that's, that's not easy to fire people. We both let people go. But um, even though you've invested time in someone, sometimes they're just not good. They're just and not going to work. It's like if people get married and divorced and then they're like, I never want to get married again. It's like, well, what the fuck? Like, I'm not a marriage expert, for God's sake. But like, it's it's the same kind of thing, you know? <laughs> what? No, it's true. No. Yeah. But I'm not saying that. I, you probably spoke to you were first of all you were somebody like this and i've spoken to a million people like this where they, they hired somebody for position x it was a bad situation and then they go oh it's not worth it's not worth the time right to train yeah yeah, yeah. And, I, and i understand feeling that way i do i really i honestly do right I'm, if i ever i don't know if i'll ever hire a coo but if i ever did it would be so that they could take the time to train people and i wouldn't have to but the point is the point is that um you, 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 it's all, it's almost certain that the first person you hire for any role, not going to work out. Right. But at the same point, you need to commit to them to, to give them everything that you can so that they're success, successful. Exactly. And then the, the, the upside to that, I know we're speaking a lot about the transparency about hiring, but the upside, when you have someone who's really fucking good, it is like, it is so amazing because like, you know, I'll sometimes I'll like, you know, I will go to the gym in the middle of the day and work out. So I'm unavailable for a while. And like, I'll go back, check my phone. And there's like, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine boxers. And they're just going back and forth together, updating. So like, technically the business is like working without me for like an hour. But I just think this whole myth of like, you know, I, I want to have my business. Like, I, I don't think, I think that's a, a cool vision. And if you can do it, I think it is cool. It's, it's like the saying that retire. Like, I, oh, I want to retire when I'm 30. It's like, well, that'd be cool. And I could probably will be there, but it's like, I'm not going to want to do that. Like, I, I that's just not... It's not something that people you want, to be, you want to be able to retire, able to retire or able to work one hour a week. But it's like the not like of retirement yeah. is crazy, right? The kinds of retirement is that you work in a job that you hate for the most important years of your life. And okay. then at some point they give you a percentage of that as a pension and then you don't do anything anymore. To me, it sounds nuts. Why don't you just spend the best years of your life doing things that you love and do it until you die? That's what my thought is. Like, I don't want to retire. I could do this till I die. And I'd be thrilled. I love doing what I do. And why it's should funny. I stop? It doesn't make any sense. Well, that's, that's why most people get themselves in trouble when they go through the regular system, because it's like, they, they don't understand how to quit. And that's something I've, I've learned too. This is a little bit of a tangent, but like a lot of people think the same things as entrepreneurs, but they, they just, they believe this bullshit story. They're telling themselves like, Oh, I can't do that. It's, you know, it's like, it's like, if you fucking believe that bullshit, like, obviously that's going to become your reality. And it's like, I have people who I went to high school with or college with or whatever. And they're like, Oh, you know, I hate my job. I'm making good money, but I'm, I'm like, well, dude, come up with a fucking way to get out of there eventually. And it's like, you, you chose to have your job. No one put a gun to your head and said, Oh, go work on wall street for 200 grand a year. You feel, chose. They feel, like, they feel like they have no way out. Right. They, my options are investing for three more years. You know, the, the big corporations are smart because they have all these golden uh, handcuffs, man all these retention systems that they do for you. You know, you get your bonus only if you stay a certain amount and you only get the stock if you stay a certain amount. So they're, I mean, they're not stupid. They, they don't want people to leave either. But, but, the, but, the, but that whole thing of working in a job that you hate for your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s so that you can get some kind of pension when you're 60 and then do what? And you're probably gonna live another 30 years. What the hell are you gonna do for 30 years? It's just crazy. Make comments on Facebook. Most people who talk shit on Facebook are over 60 because they got nothing to do all day. <laughs> It's like anyway, I but, uh, on Facebook. I'm only I'm only turning 51 in two weeks. Well, you're a young guy still. 
and you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're loving what you do. We're both loving. That's another, that's another thing why I feel like we are highly qualified to talk about this business because we make the lion's share majority of our income from actually buying and selling and renting, not selling shovels. And we both really like this business. <laughs> so it's like a, a combination for, for the truth to come out, you know? I agree wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was our masterclass on systems and hiring. I hope people, I, I know for sure people got value today. So if you did get value, please do us a favor, leave a review on iTunes, leave a review on wherever the hell you listen to, share the show. That's, this is how, the, and I'll tell you what, people listening, this is how these shows grow. They grow from sharing, which is social proof. So whether you want to copy and paste this to other people, or you want to just take a picture of this episode and put it on social media, besides all the SEO stuff that we do, this is how it grows. So if you get value and you think it's relevant, please share it. That's what all we ask for. Obviously, we don't charge a dime for this show. And uh, until the next episode, I'm Greg Helbeck with Michael Pinter signing off. Bye-bye.